Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six oh, like years. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you okay. now. I'm down Twanfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Second Captain Football. It's Murph and Ken here. Say hello, Ken. Hey, uh, everyone. Hello, Kieran. Hello, everybody out there. And uh, we are approaching the moment when the English domestic football season reaches its thrilling finale. The only thing is, the FA Cup final is not actually getting a whole lot of attention, really, is it? Well, for Arsenal, there's, there's a prospect of... Um, <laughs> As a friend of mine Not suggested, it. five more years of life being injected into Arsene Wenger's zombie regime. <laughs> that's that's one of the, one of the an, an ungenerous way to look at it. On the other on the other uh, side of it, it could be after so long wandering in the wilderness, crying out for succor. Mm. Arsene Wenger will finally drink deep from a big silver cup from the well of victory, and you know that could happen. Or a whole city. Mm. Who, who spent even longer in the wilderness than Arsenal, much longer, in fact. Mm. Um, will uh, isn't kind of happy in the wilderness, though. Hmm? You know, they're in the you know, they're, they're, well, they were in the wilderness. I shouldn't and now say they they're, were happy. Well, they were walking on the beach like JL from Proofrock, uh, white flannel trousers or whatever, maybe <laughs> tiger striped trousers, rolled up, looked, yeah. gazing out to sea, thinking of all the lovely things that are happening to other people in the world and not to them. Yeah, well, I mean, they're in and the mix now, you know. Time. Maybe this is just too much excitement. They're in the Premier League for the first time ever. Biggest city in England, never to have had a team in the top flight, apparently, Hull. Well, they uh, had so a team in the top flight. Well, now they have, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, they had, when Phil Brown was the manager a couple of years back. Well, when Phil Brown Phil brought Brown, them... the Stephen Hunt, and... Uh, you would have thought uh, they would have done them for like 20 or 30 years. I mean, they don't have to rush it. What's it what's, I can't believe his name has slipped my mind. The... Uh, he did the great goal celebration where he, he uh, made all the players sit down and wagged his finger at them. Oh, that would be uh, J- Jimmy Bullard. Jimmy Bullard. How did I forget course, the name of Jimmy Bullard? Can you believe how quickly these players fade from your... He's even in a prominent drinks company's ad. And he was in a, He did an ad for shampoo as well, yeah, I think. Yeah, he did. Uh, and he got a big, big, big contract out of Hull City. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't that after his knee buckled 90 degrees the wrong way playing for Fulham. Was it after or before? One way or the other, he didn't play as many games for Hull City as they 
perhaps would have liked. Well, I hope you enjoyed our FA Cup final preview, <laughs> which you've just heard, uh, because you can watch two extremely high-quality games on Saturday, neither of which are on in Wembley. And we're pointing you in that general direction by talking about the German Cup final between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. And That's the at the Olympiastadion mm. Berlin. Of course, the venue for the 1936 Olympics. Jazzed up for the yeah. 2006 World Cup with certain amendments from the... Uh, from the... From the original build. Edition. The original build. And uh, there's also the La Liga finale between Atletico Madrid and Barcelona. Uh, it's on in the camp now. Atletico have been brilliant all season. They're a fresh new face on the scene. They only need a draw. Barcelona have been terrible all season, so I think we all know how this one's going to end. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the world will weep with Atletico if they if they don't. Well, if they lose, if they lose, they lose, and if they don't lose, they win. They win. Yeah. Um, I was watching the game against Malaga last week, uh, where a win for Atletico Madrid would have won them the league. Without they could have gone to the camp now as champions. Yeah, and the Barcelona would have had to give them the guard of honor. <sighs> it was for. A go- I really didn't expect to have the depth of feeling that I had yeah. watching Atletico Madrid but it was just torturous because it really seemed like and the body language of the Atletico Madrid players after the game last week where oh, no. they drew one all oh, yeah. if they had won they would have won the league and that was all the rest uh, the body language after that game was not good no it was really looked as though they we've just blown lost it. the title yeah. I can't believe we've now we're going to have to go and face take what's coming to us at Barcelona yeah. which is to say um, just a reminder of the cruel, the cruel uh, cruelty of our third place in the world. Well, it'll be second place at worst. It can't be caught by Real Madrid now, but mm. just now, Atletico, uh, we let you believe right until the end that you could you could win this. But uh, the truth is, no. It's the it's the hope that'll kill you, all right. Mm. Uh, Louis Van Gaal is about to be announced as Man United manager. He's already making decisions. He's al- he's already met Ryan Giggs. He's already probably booted Rio Ferdinand out of, you know, that's all going to happen probably in the next 24 hours or so. But let's get into now Ken Early's report on sport. Yeah, um, Van Gaal, as you mentioned. I mean, somebody told uh, Rio Ferdinand that he was no longer going to be required. Mm. Um, certainly wasn't Rio Ferdinand's call mm. to say, yeah, I'm done. I've had, you know, as Vidic did. Um, so it does seem as though Manchester United have had a decision-maker in place for a little while, even if there was still uh, there was still a question mark over that just when the T's were going to be crossed, the I's were going to be dotted, and so on. Um, but uh, Vidic, actually, who I, who I mentioned there, did do an interview the other day talking about what happened this season, effectively. Um, kind of a strange interview. I can't remember too many... Players talking about a manager like this. It's just, it's almost pitying towards David Moyes. I mean, he's saying um, the players being questioned, you know, everyone is being questioned. People end up saying the players aren't good enough. We need to buy better ones. It seems that Vidic um, disagrees uh, with that one. But he says everybody, everyone lost belief in the team. I'm not saying the David Moyes way was bad, mm. but these players feel more comfortable playing a certain way of football. So <laughs> it sounds as though. I mean, not bad, actually, that was actually but quite, not right. Yeah. It was, I mean, that, that's polite. I mean, I, I have heard players talk like that before. I think maybe you're projecting the pity that you feel towards David Moyes onto Nemanja Vidic's words there. I'm not entirely sure that there is a lot of pity there. I think it's just, you know, just a man being nice to another man. Well, what I would say, yeah, the best I can say is that he tried really hard. <laughs> 
Okay, okay. Yeah. He was professional. Sorry, I'd he was really committed to the job. He desperately like my last well. remark stricken from the record. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, and we were all sad. At the same time, though, he says, "You have to respect where you are and what you represent." Though there is no point speaking about someone who was here, who everyone knows lost his job because he did not succeed in doing what he wanted to achieve. Ryan Giggs called into David Moyes and said that he was a good man. Yeah, that's more. It's basically more of the same. Yeah, you're sort you're, of treatment you're a good here. Man. Um, yeah you're just not the right man Vidic obviously off to Inter uh, really links up with Patrice Evra um, and I do get the feeling that Mani I'd have dispensed of Nemanja Vidic a little early well it wasn't there. In, in this case it was Vidic who said I'm going Vidic was the one who decided to leave I'm well, sure that they would have kept him on oh I don't know about that I think that there was uh, quite a degree of stalling over offering him any sort of a, bi- a bid that Vidic would deem sort of you know, applicable to the captain of the club. Yeah, was that, that, that always does become a, an issue at that sort of age, you know, and especially when you've had as many knee injuries as Vidic. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a big question now as to who Louis van Gaal is going to bring in because uh, he's effectively now got Jones, Smalling and Evans, none of whom seem like classically van Gaal-type centre-halves. Mm. Um, none of whom really seems like the... Smalling maybe could be a ball-playing central defender, but I'm not really sure. I mean, we had Roy Keane also the other day um, uh, slamming them. Well, not really slamming, to be honest. I mean, it's just everything Keane says, which is mildly critical as Keane slams Manchester United. Uh, Well, I think it was a little bit unfair, actually, what he said. Did you see what he said about Phil Jones? Yeah. He said, Jones needs to toughen up. Every time I see him, he's being carried off. That's because, Roy... Phil Jones has perfected the art of putting his head where you wouldn't put a shovel. That's, that's what Phil Jones has. All Phil Jones can offer you is blood, sweat, toil and tears. Yeah, and he, it's and he offers it every single day. And when he does get stretchered off, which is true, it happens, I wouldn't necessarily hold it against him. I mean, it reminds me a bit of what Ferguson said about Kevin Moran, you know? Oh, he was always getting his nose burst. <laughs> yeah. You know? And you think, well, you've got a brave centre half there. Maybe... Maybe he's not the... I, don't, I didn't see Ferguson saying the same thing about Steve Bruce, and we've all seen his nose. Yeah. You know, he was another player you know who was prepared to put his nose where... You know what he said of Steve Bruce? He's got a heart the size of a dustbin lid. That's what Alex <laughs> Ferguson said about Steve Bruce. The size, and hopefully not the shape. I mean, you would think that that would actually be quite... It would be too big. Quite dangerous. I mean, yeah. imagine the power of the blood coursing through the man's veins. I mean, yeah. he's a heart attack waiting to happen there. He, yeah, look, he was... Uh, no, he, he, I, don't, I don't remember him being criticised for excessive, um, uh, reckless bravery. Mm. In the case of Jones, he is wholehearted. I mean, the thing that he needs maybe to do is... I mean, you can see it on his face, literally. You know, we know the cruel thing that's always done to Phil Jones. He just has that face. But it's, he, does, he does make these faces of what appear to be terror on the field. Or mm. he, he, he's obviously extremely caught up in the moment. You know, it's not like he's... Um, let me think... Someone like Matt Hummels or so, or Gary Lineker, someone yeah. like this who who cruise around and and actually even in photographs, action shots, they seem to have this quite serene expression. Phil Jones is not like that. Uh, he isn't serene, and maybe Van Gaal can bring him, can help to bring him serenity. Yeah, maybe, or maybe he's going to go for another central defender. We don't yeah, know I think that might be yet. a slightly more likely scenario because I mean it is really unfair that. There are, there's this never-ending stream of Phil Jones gurning yeah. photographs like that. It, after every, I mean, the penalty that he missed in the Capital One 
Cup League semi-final mm. there's a photograph of him taking at the exact moment where he strikes the ball mm. and the look on his face is completely unrepeated it's indescribable and I would nearly have said unrepeatable if I haven't seen that exact facial expression on Phil Jones anytime he touches the ball yeah I mean you do wonder what's what's going through his head at that time what I mean what he's thinking about I mean is it that he's thinking so hard about about the ball that whatever part of his brain is usually controlling his face is is just diverted to another yeah. task and this is what this is what happens. I mean, I've, I, I can think of Zidane Zidane taking penalties, and he's completely expressionless. I, actually, I was someone tweeted me yesterday, and the profile picture that he has is of Andrea Pirlo taking a penalty. Yeah, and it just popped into my head there that I was I clicked on the profile picture just to see what it was, the fo- what the photograph was, and Pirlo's face was completely and utterly expressionless and I think it was in, it was the penalty in the World Cup final in the uh, penalty shootout the one against well there was the Euro 2012 penalty against England this that's, is most famous that's one. the one that, yeah, that's that was the, one the little that, Penenko uh, one that was when Joe Hart was kind of dancing around like a loon and Pirlo yeah. thought well okay I know what you're going to do <laughs> um, speaking of Pirlo actually he described uh, Park Ji Sung in his autobiography as the world's first nuclear powered South Korean and it's my duty to inform you that Park Ji-sung has been decommissioned mm. uh, from active it's service. Beyond use. Uh, he has retired, is what we're trying to say here. In case you were worried that something terrible had happened to Park Ji-sung, don't worry, he's fine. Uh, but he is finished his football career and says he's leaving with no regrets. Um, it's interesting, actually, how critical he is. Pirlo most is. decorated player. Is he? Yep. Um, really? I'm kind of, surprised, kind of surprised by that. But I suppose he won a lot of Premier Leagues with. Manchester mm-hmm. United, so how many yeah, uh, how many players from Asia have, have won that many league titles in Europe? He won he won the league with PSV as well, I'm pretty sure. Nearly got to the Champions League final with PS, PSV, which is why uh, I guess Manchester United signed him. But uh, he lives with memories, although not fondly regarded by Pirlo, who seems to regard him as... He said he, he actually described the selection of Park Ji-sung in a game against uh, Milan, in, in which Park's job was to chase around after Pirlo compares him to a dog chasing him around and suggests that uh, it was a stain upon the uh, upon the reputation of Sir Alex Ferguson who he's, you know, broadly uh, talks about him in terms of, well, the great old man, you know, almost as though Ferguson was Bismarck or something like this but then says, I really didn't like that whole party song thing. You know, I'm trying there with the ball, trying to do stuff with the ball and he's like, mm. what's, what's a ball? You know, this is kind of the way that Pirlo spoke about Parkji. So I think it was a bit unfair. Um, he did have that uh, reputation, uh, or the words that the word that was always used about him was energy. Yeah, he's got so energetic, so dynamic. He brings such physical uh, intensity mm. to the game. So no one ever spoke about him as a football player. Um, Rio Ferdinand and uh, Gary Neville having a Twitter conversation uh, a number of months ago, m- referencing the fact that as long as they were, uh, they were talking about how they they would go over to each other before every game and say nothing down our side, basically. Yeah. So down that side happen. of the defense, and then one of them brought up the fact that as long as Park Ji Sung was playing in front of Gary Neville, there wasn't going to be a problem anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it, again, like complimentary, like all of this stuff that we're talking about here is actually complimentary of Park Ji Sung. It's just you can see how a player like that would be valued by his teammates. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's good that he's had a had a good career. Anyway, he's he's done for now. He finished his career with PSV. 
Uh, uh, Newcastle are saying Pardew is going to stay. I mean, we've seen all the stuff about Pardew now. The Newcastle fans got very direct uh, with a banner at Anfield, which I think the Liverpool series tried to take away, uh, which is Pardew is a uh, James Blunt oh. was the message. I mean, they didn't they didn't bother to try and dress up the message in any way. They didn't try to lace it through with some sort of gallows humour. I mean, I remember the. Uh, I remember when Liverpool were having the problem with Hicks and Gillette. Uh, somebody brought onto the cup a banner of uh, which said Perslow. It was just a a giant. Uh, yes, I remember now. Yeah, organ. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it had it had the letters P U or S L O W written down the shaft. That's the uh, that's the scouts with though. Yeah, you can't I mean, buy that, Ken. No, you don't see anyone talking about the time with, do you? Oh, don't you? I'm not sure. Jimmy um, Nail was a tremendous spe- comic actor, of course. Speaking of, of Liverpool, actually, Adam Lallana um, is, uh, well, repeatedly quite keen to join uh, Liverpool. Now, this is part of this great sort of Southampton... I, Fire I don't know, sale. Yeah, is that the right word? I mean, it does look a bit like that, because we were talking earlier in the season, uh, Nicola Cortese was the name of the... Uh, chief executive, or was it executive chairman that they called him? He was the Ed Woodward guy, mm. um, the the Ivan Gazidis guy, the Daniel Levy guy at Southampton. Um, but unfortunately, the owner, uh, well, the owner was Marcus Liebherr, who died a couple of years ago. Very rich, um, uh, continental European gentleman. Uh, and he said... Uh, well, he he was all keen to... He, it seemed like Southampton was going to be his retirement project, but since his untimely death, his daughter, who inherited, obviously, his vast fortune, um, had absolutely zero interest in this. And she uh, was persuaded by Nicola Cortese not to just sell the club immediately, because he said, look, hang on. This is actually... You don't realise this is going really well. And if we keep this going a little while, you will get a much better price than anything you could possibly get now. Um... Uh, and I think she probably got back to him there a few months back and said, oh, Nicola, you know, uh, what about that uh, whole deal we were talking about? Maybe it's time to uh, offload that football club I have no interest in now. And Cortese, I think, said, no, no, you're crazy. You know, you've got to wait. Uh, we can we can get more. We can do more. So she sacked him. Or he resigned, in fact, I think was mm. what was what happened. I can't, I can't work under these conditions, hoping that she would do. But she obviously accepted the resignation, so he was gone. Uh... And now uh, Luke Shaw probably to Manchester United, uh, Lalana probably to Liverpool. Although the interesting thing in this story, and, and Pochettino to Tottenham, that's the other thing. Um, Tottenham obviously have sacked Tim Sherwood since we last spoke. I mean, something that, which everybody, including Tim Sherwood, knew was going to happen. Um, I don't know if we've heard the last from Tim Sherwood about this. I hope not. No, I, I hope not too. I mean, I, I, I hope think there's a place in the English game for Tim Sherwood I, somewhere. I really hope so too. Um, because it would be good to see him get in. You know, I suppose he didn't really do do that badly. Although, uh, you know, what Tottenham were kind of putting out is that essentially a bunch of their players were all out the door. Sure, they were. They just weren't going to come back. <laughs> Sherwood was still there next season. So, s- such is their spin on it anyway. Mm. But now Pochettino is the guy who, in fairness, when when Andre Villas-Boas was sacked, 
Pochettino was a name which was immediately being mentioned in connection with this job. He wasn't interested then, but maybe now he's looking and thinking, okay, I mean, things have gone well at Southampton, but it looks as though they're selling all the players now, so this might be the time to... This 100% is the time for mm. Pochettino to get the hell out of there. I mean, he's not going to do any better than... They finished 8th, didn't they? Yeah. And I mean, they're not. there's no way they're going to finish 8th next year. No. Even if they kept all their players, you would have to think that there would have to be a levelling off of performance there. There really would. And they're not going to... They're, and they're not going to hold on to all of their players. One other story? Well, just in the Lana, um, £25 million. Pounds. What age is Adam Lallana? He's Ken? 26. I think that that will come as a surprise to many people. He's 26 years old. He's 26 because he's in there. Obviously, Southampton do have this um, youth system, which has been going well for a, a long time. You know, Bale probably mm. being their most famous youth product who moved obviously to Arsenal at a very early age but there's been plenty of players uh, Spurs Spurs moved to Spurs did I say Arsenal you did actually say Arsenal there yeah sorry Spurs if right. only if only he had moved there. he moved to Tottenham and then now Real Madrid um, what a player he is uh, but there was a lot of there's been a lot of these players through Lallana's been there Lallana's been there a long time you know you you might kind of group him mentally with these uh, Shaw and you know mm. think oh there's Lallana you know he's 20 years old what are what outstanding of, performances what outstanding maturity he reminds me of a young Adnan Yenazai <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's got a, an old head on young shoulders <laughs> but in fact he's got you know a 26 year old head on 26 year old shoulders 25 million pounds sounds a bit steep now the thing about this is that you know Lallana's done has done well you know he, he would be a useful player I think for any of the top teams to have um He's a versatile kind of player. He can, and that's something I think Brendan Rodgers certainly likes to see in players. You know, for instance, Sterling. He's moved around quite a lot. He yeah. likes the fact Sterling can play different positions. He would like the fact that Lallana can. Twenty-five million. I mean, I think the the relevant figures here for Liverpool should be um, a table which is very pleasing to to their eye, which is the table of Premier League cash payments for the 2013-14 season, and this is a table showing how much money the Premier League clubs have made from television mm. uh, for the season that we've just seen. And top of that table is Liverpool Football Club with nearly £98 million of TV money. That's just TV money from the Premier League. Okay, what, what's the, what did the lowest team get? I mean, how the lowest above the mean The lowest team million? was Cardiff, who got £62 million. Right, okay. Now, just to put this in a bit of perspective... Liverpool got near 98 million. Last season, the figure for Liverpool, 54.8 million, right? It's an increase of 42.7 million. So a Mesut Ozil-sized increase in mm. income from one source of income in one year. It's a, it's a gigantic increase. Now, when you look down through the, the Premier League, uh, the increase in money ranges from 42 million. That's Liverpool's. That's the biggest. Man City, 38 million more than last year. Chelsea, 39 million more. Arsenal, 35 million more. Tottenham, 33. Man United, 28. Man United's figures are a little disappointing compared to the usual. Obviously, they got the biggest sum last year, which was 60 million. But even after a disastrous season, it's 89 million this year. You know what I mean? Sorry, so this is, uh, this is money from television this is revenue. This money from, from, from Premier League with... television revenue. Okay, so is, does that, is that tied into your performance as well? It's tied into your performance. The way that they allocated... The final league position. Um, ...is that there is uh, there's, there's a fee, uh, there's an equal share, yeah. equal share component of it, so everyone gets 52 million. Then there's a, a component of it which is related to your place uh, in the league. So yep. Liverpool finished 
Man City finished top, they get 24.7 million. Cardiff finished bottom, they get 1.2. So that's where the big range, the yeah. difference comes in. And then there's uh, another fee for how many times you're on TV. Okay. So if you're on, you get 750 grand every time a you're Premier League TV, game yeah. is shown. Yeah. Um, so Liverpool were on TV more than anyone else, 28 games. Now, the point about this is, it's not just listing off. I mean, it's, it's staggering how much more money these clubs are making. And it's, it's, it shows that in time they're going to be blowing away the, the clubs in Spain. I mean, they bought 140 million players, 140 million pounds worth of players from the Spanish league last summer, Premier League mm. clubs. That's, that's like a major subsidy for the Spanish league now. Okay, I know Bale went the other way. And that's, you know, but that's kind of Real Madrid's money. Is a bit yeah. different from general Spanish league money. Um, what this means is that you know that tax there is on English players, particularly English players, but I think you can say it of all English-based players. Now yeah. that just went up by fifty percent. When the clubs are making this much money from television, the players, their important players, have just become a lot more expensive. So if you want to buy players. This might not be the place to, to buy them from. Yeah. You know, the, pre- the Premier League is always is complaining about, oh, there's so many foreign players flooding in and we don't have enough English players and so on. They're too expensive. Yeah. You know, you've got, you've got a league with all this money, but within the league itself, the money doesn't have as much purchasing power as it does outside the league. So $25 million for Adam Lallana would seem, good player though he is, excessive. What could you get for $25 million if you go to the Bundesliga, if you go to La Liga, if you go to Serie A? Okay, that ends uh, Ken Erdy's report on sport. I knew the place. Fluff, that he calls me Ravi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way you can win it better. Why not? Only, no, 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 no. But that's the only hope I've got. We're doing, we're doing lots of four matches. But that, well, I can only lose three. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. Fluff, that he calls me Ravi. Good luck. Now, that might, that might be, you know, aiming for utopia, and it might, be, might mean being a little bit stupid. But that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that... I want to be like me. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want... No, I have to be beach ready. So I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple. So you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-5152-53 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Okay, we're joined now by uh, Sid Lowe from Madrid. Sid, thanks so for joining us. Barcelona winning the title this year would be kind of unbelievable after all they've uh, been through over the last eight or nine months, but would it also be undeserved? Uh, I mean, it's a, debate, it's a debate that's very live in Spain at the moment, to what extent Barcelona, or indeed anyone, um, would deserve a title. I must confess, I'm 
I'm a little uncomfortable with the word deserve because I suppose ultimately at the end of a 38-game season, even if it has felt at times like, uh, for example, in this case, Barcelona, but the same would be true of Real Madrid or, or perhaps even you could construct an argument about Atletico Madrid. I suppose at the end of a 38-game season, even if those teams have at times not convinced, even, even if those teams at times have maybe not even competed, um, ultimately, if you're top, I guess you kind of deserve to be top, don't you? Well, they have played each other already five times. It's been one of these kind of epic series of yeah. games throughout the season, and it's four draws and one Atletico win. So just to restore balance to that equation, it looks as though what's required is a one-goal victory for Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, of course, I think, I think the, point, the, the point really from, from the, the perspective of Barcelona is that this is a side that um, just over a week ago gave up on the league title when they drew 2-2 with Getafe that they, they thought they weren't going into this they've been given new life basically by the poor results of Atletico Madrid and, and Real Madrid between the three teams um, they've not won in the last seven games between the three of them that's two complete rounds of games plus that game that Real Madrid had in hand which came between those two um, and, and Atletico Madrid have been the stronger side this season against Barcelona in, in those, those five games that they've played against each other but I think what happens in a way is that you get to this final day and and it's it's hard to it's hard to see it purely in terms of what's happened until now because it now feels like a one-off game and I suppose of course if you put together these two teams and on a one-off game you say well they're playing at the Camp Nou then then I guess you sort of have to favour Barcelona but it is true um, at least from my point of view at least I think that that Atletico Madrid have been the more competitive side this year they've been the stronger side this year and in those games that they've played against each other of course they're unbeaten Psychologically, it's difficult to say what's going on here. I mean, first of all, the fact that the teams seem to all be buckling at this stage of the season is just bizarre. I mean, it's incredible that one of them hasn't managed to kind of seize the initiative. Um, I kind of wonder, though, which team is going is, is almost going to be more up for this. I mean, you, you kind of feel that Barcelona, given that they've got a second chance, which is unexpected, um, are going to make the most of it. But maybe the fact that Atletico Madrid are soon to be broken up this this may be their last uh, chance of of not only winning a title but but if playing together uh, might get that extra sort of 10 percent out of them it's it's very difficult isn't it to judge um where where the kind of psychological advantage would be i, I think when when you try and unpack the reasons for this kind of extraordinary collapse of the top three over the last two rounds of games and i and i would argue in barcelona's case going back further than that when i genuinely was trying to work this out earlier today and, and i admit I, I was trying to work this out without actually getting a pen and piece of paper out and going back and doing it game by game but i can't remember the last time that barcelona played well uh, I, I mean i genuinely can't i think it must be going back at least seven or eight games possibly to the 4-3 against Real Madrid in the Classico. And even then, there were periods of the game where, where they weren't particularly brilliant. Um, whereas Atletico Madrid, I think, all the way through the season, I think you'd struggle to find a game that Atletico Madrid won that you would say they were, they were fortunate. Whereas I think there have been games where, where Real Madrid and, and, and uh, Barcelona have won games and you think, well, they'd be fortunate. Um, psychologically, that... that if you like that, that chance to go again for, for for Barcelona, that chance to have another another opportunity that they, they didn't expect, you would expect to to give them a new lease of life. But I'm not entirely sure it works that way. One thing that I think has happened, um, you know, to go back to this thing, thing that's been out of, of, of why they've had these poor results over the last last three games. Um, one of the 
keys, I think, must be partly psychological. And I just wonder with Atletico Madrid if the psychology has changed. And the psychology has changed because all season long they've talked about going a game by game. By game. All season long they've, they've, they've talked about never looking forward to, to what they're going to win, but just keep on winning the next match and then worry about the next one and then the next one and so on. Now, of course, that was demonstrably nonsense for a lot of the season because it's inevitable that players think ahead and get excited. It's inevitable too, and by the way, not just inevitable, but sensible that a manager plans beyond just the next game because if you're going to try and rotate players and keep people fresh, that you have to do that. But I think all the way through the season, it is true that Atletico Madrid probably felt like they had nothing to lose. When they reach the point that they were within touching distance of the league title, of course, they do then have something to lose. They do. And I think that changes the mindset. But again, uh, you know, it sounds like I'm sitting on the fence. And it sounds like I'm, I'm not um, prepared to put my neck on the line here. But there's a little bit of a sense. I'm not even sure if I'm convinced by my own argument here. Because when you look at the game that Atletico Madrid could have won the league title against Malaga and didn't, I don't think they failed to win that because they bottled it. I don't think they failed to win that because they were psychologically weak. To be honest with you, I thought they were just a little unfortunate. Yeah, they were. I mean, they so nearly won at an injury time. I mean, it was a close, close run thing. I mean, you said there you can't remember the last time you've seen Barcelona play well. I mean, you know, Barcelona have had so many problems this season. I mean, institutional crisis really has been the theme of this season for them. Um, and it's clear that poor old Tata Martino win the league or not, is, is pretty much going to be on his way. And I'm sure he he goes with his share of the blame, whether or not he deserves it. I'm sure, I'm sure, Sid, that he doesn't really deserve most of the blame. It has more to do with what's on the field. What do you think has gone wrong on the field? I mean, Barcelona, I suppose, for, for the last 10 years have been powered by, you know, the greatest sort of midfield engine in, in, uh, in Europe. I mean, Xavi has just been the the best midfielder in Europe for most of that time. Has, has time caught up with him? Is he simply not quite capable of driving the team forward in the same way? I do think there's an element of that, yeah. Uh, and I think I think Xavi Hernandez has been probably the most important footballer in, in Spanish football history when you look at the, the significance for the Spanish national team, the way that it's a, uh, a national team and obviously by extension from, from Barcelona at club level that has such a clear footballing identity and it's his footballing identity. Uh, and I think I think... It is tempting to conclude that, that he perhaps can't do it, or at least can't do it as consistently now as, as he once could. It's tempting to conclude that, that one of the things that Tata Martino was trying to do was to, to bring the style towards something different, to try and change things perhaps, because he was thinking to himself, Xavi Hernandez can't carry on, he can't keep being the important player that he once was, so we have to do something different. But then I suppose the counter-argument is that, well, maybe the reason why Xavi Hernandez hasn't performed as well is precisely because Barcelona have tried to change the style, and maybe if they kept it as it was, he would have performed better. Um, there are a whole series of other factors, I think, for Barcelona this year, and I think certainly in the last six weeks or so, um, the significance of the injury to Victor Valdez, I think, is huge. Uh, I know it sounds ridiculous to talk about a goalkeeper affecting the way the team plays on the pitch, but I think that makes a difference. I think the absence of Gerald Piquet, and Piquet is a player that it seems to me that particularly in, in, in the UK gets gets criticised consistently. I think he's hugely important for the way they play. I think his absence has been important. Of course, I think you've got to ask um, what's happened with Leo Messi, why he hasn't really performed. I think the fact this is a World Cup year, I think the arrival of Neymar, I think the problems that he's had with both injury and indeed, and I'm sure it must make a, make a difference, things like relationship with the club, things like relationship with the tax authorities, those kind of issues. It's difficult to imagine they they 
don't have some impact on him. So I think there are a whole series of factors. And of course, all of those come within the context of a club that at institutional level has been collapsing for a lot of the season. And, and I think that's really, really important. The Valdez issue that you just raised there uh, is interesting because obviously the situation where uh, he was going to leave, injured his cruciate, uh, joined Monaco, the, that whole incident kind of suggested that there was a bad atmosphere around Barcelona. Would that be, would that be fair? I mean, obviously the injury doesn't. The injury is, is, is irrelevant to the atmosphere. I, I think the decision to go prior to the injury, which of course the injury has, has complicated that decision and, and Valdez had uh, an agreement with, with Monaco that wasn't cast in stone and therefore he was still looking at other options, including the possibility of going to, to a team in England. Um, and I think, but I think the decision to go in the first place is partly... Um, conditioned by by the environment of the club, I must confess I can't help asking myself, kind of what would have happened under a different president? What would have happened if Chandler Porter had still been there? Would would Valdez have been so clear to go? Clear in his mind that he wanted to go, and, and the time was right. But then I interviewed him around about maybe two months ago, something like that, just before he got injured, and and what he really talked about, which I thought was really really interesting, and he was he was very he was kind of very good at, at, at being reflective about what's happened with him. He was very good at, at looking for the meaning behind things and, and, and understanding himself as a, as a person and, and trying to express what a, a footballer goes through. And I think the thing that came across really clearly then was that this is someone who's been through the youth system, who just reached a point where he thought, right, I'm of an age now that I want to try something else. Not necessarily about Barcelona being a problem, but I want to try something else. But then where it did become about Barcelona, if he talked an enormous amount about the pressure. And he talked an enormous amount about the way that that can really, really kind of wear you down and that, that you reach a point where you need a release. And the parallel that really sprung to my mind was Raul at Real Madrid. And I remember going to interview Raul when he'd just gone to Schalke and he was totally different to the way that he'd been for the final two years at Real Madrid. He was liberated. He was, he was alert. He was bright-eyed. He was really clearly enjoying it. He was enjoying the fact that he wasn't captain and didn't have any of those extra pressures. He was enjoying the fact that he, that he was at a club that wasn't political, or at least if it was, he didn't have the language skills to understand that and didn't feel like he was in the middle of it. And I think there was an element of that with Valdez. And I remember two or three phrases that he used during, during the interview, which really struck he said that the, the goalposts at Barcelona don't measure what they measure everywhere else. Uh, he said something along the lines of every year at Barcelona is three years at any, uh, any other club. And I think, I think that sense of pressure really, really did tell. Now, I think that's a sense of pressure that is enhanced, if enhanced is the right word, I suppose, made worse um, by the politics that surround the club. And perhaps as a, there are different, different regime with a different manager perhaps maybe some different teammates and 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 as i say maybe even a different president i think it, it could well have been that he, he would have decided to stay yeah maybe it's the same pressure that that's um that seems to be um have inhibited leo messi a bit this season although i think you mentioned said that this is a world cup year and given what people always say about leo messi that you know he's got to do it at the world cup i certainly can't blame him for Maybe prioritizing that this season, given given all the, the shambles that he kind of sees when he looks around him in Barcelona. There was an interesting quote from Johan Cruyff the other day where he said, This new contract that Messi's been given, which is obviously gigantic as his contracts always are, um, is, the, is the club making it up to him for Neymar, um, which may just be Cruyff stirring the pot a little bit. But what, what, it would be someone like Cruyff to stir the pot as there, well. There might be an element of that. But, you know, when you look at it, obviously they, 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 they threw a lot of money Neymar's way as well. 
nine league goals so far. They probably were hoping for a bit more than that. What I wonder is when you look at next season and beyond, can you see the, the pair of them forming some kind of a stable partnership? Is it is it possible that the Barcelona could build a team which included both of them and that they could both thrive? It's possible, but I must admit at the moment it looks very difficult. Um, I, I think one of the things that's happened is that the message from Barcelona, for, from, from my point of view at least, I think the message from Barcelona has been completely wrong on Leo Messi. And I think it's been completely wrong because of what Cruyff is hinting at, because of Neymar. So Neymar comes, of course, we've had all of this um, all of these questions raised and the scandal that's blown up around Neymar's transfer, which has appeared in, in, in terms of what Barcelona themselves described as, as a bit of engineering to get a good deal. It was very clever um, and then it turned out to be perhaps not quite so clever because it brought a whole load of attention upon them, brought a whole load of problems with them which still haven't yet been entirely resolved. Um, and what it seemed to be was this was perhaps a roundabout way of paying Neymar more money than Messi and that they were trying to disguise that so as not to irritate Messi. Of course, once that, that then becomes public, or at least it becomes discussed in public, um, the possibility of that, then you get into another environment in which, well, you've irritated Messi anyway. And this is what I mean by the message being wrong. From that point onwards, Barcelona consistently talked at board level and publicly from board members about a contract renewal for Messi, which would make him the best paid player in the world. We want him to earn more than anyone else. We want him to be the best paid player in the world. Now, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm naive, but if I was Leo Messi, I I would much rather they were saying, we want to buy some defenders so that with Leo Messi we can carry on winning the Champions League. We want to build a team around this guy. It seems to me that the message was flawed from the, from, from the minute they started talking about it in, in purely economic terms. And again, that, that goes back to the, the, to the signing of Neymar, I think, to a very, very great extent. The other thing is that when, when you look at this, I think that some of Messi's problems this year are without doubt to do with the fact that the World Cup's coming. Um, you talked about him reserving himself. I'm not sure if it's quite as clear-cut as that, or at least I'm not sure if it's quite as conscious as that. But subconsciously, I have no doubt that that's part of, part of what's happened this year. Because it seems to me that, as you rightly said, if you talk about this great player, one of the all-time greats, perhaps the best player we've ever seen, ah, but he didn't do it at a World Cup. Mm. It's inevitable that Messi, at the age he is now, will be thinking, this is the World Cup for me. This is the one. This is where I have to prove it. If anyone is going to truly judge me the way I feel like I should be judged, or at least the way I aspire to be judged, this has to be the one. So even if he's not consciously resting himself for the World Cup, it's natural, isn't it, that there's a part of him that has maybe a slight niggle in a muscle and thinks, I'm not risking this, or thinks, oh, that doesn't feel right to me because of the nerves. It's natural that a player holds back a little bit or, or is worried about pushing a little bit. And then this filters into the Neymar question. Neymar and Messi, could they have had a good relationship? Yeah. Could they still have a good relationship? Yes. But when you're having, if you like, the, the probably the two, Cristiano Ronaldo and maybe two of the three players who are at least on the face of it destined to mark this World Cup, whose desire is to make this World Cup theirs. And you have two of them in the same club who are inevitably going to be competitors, inevitably going to be rivals at some level or another, however well they get on. Yeah. I, I think it's always probable that there's going to be a, a certain degree of tension there. Yeah, there's so much of a, cir- a circus around it. I, I mean, a question actually about the, the circus, Sid. I mean, you've been working there in close contact with the Spanish media, indeed, in the Spanish media for a while, uh, a long time. We, we know how it works. I mean, there, 
you wouldn't quite say there's two camps, but I mean, it does seem to be okay. Some of the papers are pro Real Madrid, some are pro Barcelona. What do the Madrid papers do when Atletico Madrid are the best team in Madrid? Do they just seamlessly s- switch over, change into the red and white stripes? I, 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 I love that question. I love that question because there was, there was, a, there was a fantastic um, piece in one of the Catalan papers, now admittedly in a Catalan paper, but by, by their television critic, and, and she, a woman called Monica Planas, and she always talks about the, the, the TV show, the Madrid-based TV shows, which are big arguments, shouting fests. And she talks about precisely this issue. I think it was in today's paper. It may have been yesterday. I can't remember when I read it now. And, and, and she talked about precisely this issue and said, they're in trouble now because they now don't know what to do because the league title is going to be Madrid. Uh, it's, it can't be Madrid. It's going to be Atletico Madrid or Barcelona who win the league. And so now they're thinking, well, what do we debate? Because we can't debate it in, in, in our normal, framed in our normal terms. Real Madrid good, everyone else bad. Real Madrid the heroes, everyone else or not quite right or, or, or they've fluked it or whatever. And they've got two teams now. So they sort of don't know where to go. Um, and so they, they, so they have helped to sort of generate this debate about do they deserve it. Because, of course, if you generate a debate about do either of these teams deserve it, what you're almost doing is morally giving it back to Real Madrid a little bit, even though, of course, you can't argue that Real Madrid deserve it. Um, so the, the answer is that I think most people in Spain welcome Atletico Madrid. I think within Madrid, there's absolutely no doubt that even the extremely pro-Real Madrid media would much rather Atletico Madrid won it than Barcelona did. I think that's true. Um, Whereas in the Barcelona media, of course, they would still, despite the enjoyment of a third team emerging, they would still rather it was Barcelona. But yeah, it does provoke, I think, a, a, a slight kind of difficulty when it comes to identifying themselves with a team. A couple of small things to tie up here. So first of all, we, had, we spoke to somebody last week who, so I think it was Miguel Delaney who suggested that, in his opinion, the less successful Real Madrid's uh, season, the more likely they are to attempt a galactical signing of some kind. Could you briefly give me your thoughts on, on whether you think that's correct? I think, broadly speaking, that is correct. But I also think we shouldn't underestimate the, the desire of Florentino Pérez to win the summer. Um, and, and this is this is a, a concept that I've particularly enjoyed watching over the years because at times it's so so uh, sort of so skewed as to be almost funny. Florentino Pérez, when he signs that star player, when he when he what he talks about as creating illusion, which doesn't mean illusion, it means more kind of hope or excitement or, or, or whatever word you want to use for hope or excitement. Um, when he when signs that player, it feels like he's won the summer. The problem is that then those are on the pitch and win. And so I think even if they don't win anything. He will still have that desire to find that kind of player. Of course, if they don't win things, then I think Neil's quite right that um, the, the desire will be driven not just by him, but by what fans are saying, because the natural reaction of, uh, of, of football fans, I think in any country probably, in any club probably as well, but particularly at Real Madrid, they're so big, the natural reaction of fans there when they don't win is go and buy a superstar. Yeah. Uh, on a completely unrelated subject, Sid, I believe that yesterday you were um, talking to Luis Suarez, who signed the. Uh, a new sponsorship deal with some kind of gambling firm and was chatting to reporters down in Barcelona. I'm sure everybody at Liverpool delighted to see uh, Luis Suarez hanging out mm-hmm. in Spain, surrounded by uh, the whole Anturno of Spanish football. Uh, did he have anything to say about anything related to that? Well, as you say, hanging out in Spain, which meant, of course, the focus was uh, was was quite Spanish in the way that the questions were posed to him. Inevitably, his his future was a big part of it. There was lots of kind of indirect ways of saying, "Hey, are you coming here?" Uh, one question was very direct. Uh, 
can you see yourself coming to Spain? Another question was, Barcelona, do they need a number nine? And could you be that kind of number nine? What Real Madrid mean to you? <laughs> and stuff like this. Um, and he flat-batted, he flat-batted nearly all of them. Uh, he was asked, I think he was only really asked one absolutely categorical question, which was, there have been reports that there is a clause in your contract uh, that means you can go to Madrid or Barcelona. And he said, no, not as far as I'm aware. There's no clause that specifically says anything about a particular club. Ah, um, that's what he said. Now, that's not saying, that's not saying there is no clause, but, but to be fair to him, the response, I think, was a response to a specific question, which was, have you got a clause that says you can go to Madrid and Barcelona? He said, no. When he was asked the kind of much more in general terms about where's your future lie, he was very say, look, um, I'm focusing on the World Cup now. I, I, I'm, I'm not interested in that. It's full of speculation. He was asked what he, what he does when he sees a report in the newspaper talking about his future, talking about his future, and he said, I changed the page. <laughs> That's a good way to read a newspaper. Sid Lowe, uh, thanks a million there for joining us today. My pleasure. It's the sort of finale you'd love, all right, but as uh, Sid says, none of the three teams have won in the last seven games that they've played as a sort of as a three. So this hasn't exactly been an unbelievable charge for the line by whichever team manages to fall over the line. No. Um, and I mean, I can completely understand it in the case of Atletico Madrid, but I'm really surprised that Real Madrid, they're the ones who I'm stunned by. It was extraordinary even last weekend to see they were all, they all kicked off at the same time. Mm. Um, and to see them all faltering at this, you know, if you're in the the Vicente Calderon, the entire game, basically the Atletico Madrid game, the entire game was spent panning to increasingly frazzled looking fans of Atletico. You think, right, if we win, we have to win this game at home, mm. otherwise the league is, is gone. And neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid in any way capable of making those, that, those fans' discomfort any greater than it was just by their own team's uh, failings. Mm. Bizarre. I mean, Madrid have, have had to do a lot of this without Ronaldo. He keeps getting injured, and it's a really bad time for him to be injured. I mean, he's in a he's in an awful position now because, I mean, we were talking there about Messi maybe saving himself up a bit. Mm. I mean, he can, he can afford to do that. We see Wayne Rooney is off on holiday, apparently with two fitness trainers. Mm. You know what I mean? He, he was kind of taking it easy the last month of the season because, you know, yeah. what, what are you going to do? Yeah. So... Rooney had the chance. Maybe okay. Maybe for once, I'm going to turn up at the at a tournament and not be crocked out of shape. You know, yeah. um, but Ronaldo, who is under a lot of the same kind of pressures as Messi in terms of the international performance. I mean, his international performances so far have probably been a bit better. You know, his, his tournament record isn't bad uh, compared to Messi's. He can't. He, he he cannot rest. He can't take any time out. He has to be fit for the Champions League final. He he's not able to sort of. Uh, give himself a little bit of space to get the injury right and it just keeps recurring and you know I mean hopefully he's going to make that Champions League final but if he does at what cost for Portugal in the World Cup So the big question that the world of football is asking is will he be available for the Portugal-Ireland friendly and does he run the David Myler James McCarthy gauntlet (laughs) (laughs) that's the question everyone's asking again I think I think the Irish players have too much respect for Mm. for Ronaldo to try and take him out. Does any Irish player really want to make a name for himself by taking Cristiano Ronaldo out of the World Cup? It's not like Ireland are actually sending a team to the World Cup. You know, like that, what was the situation in the Rugby World Cup in 2007? Mm. Uh, where that French lower league team softened up the... Bayonne, wasn't it? That, uh, smashed Brian O'Driscoll's yeah. face open. That wasn't I good. I don't think, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, uh, okay, well, we'll, we'll move on because uh, the German Cup final is on 
uh, this Saturday evening between Borussia Dortmund and uh, Bayern Munich. Raphael Honigstein uh, has joined us on the line. Is this game a glorified German World Cup training camp game? Uh, what's the place of the, the German Cup, uh, rather, in the, the German public consciousness? Oh, no, there's a lot of stake. Um, even if it wouldn't be for the World Cup, this would be a huge game. It's the third time now that uh, Germany, um, sorry, that Bayern and Dortmund are meeting uh, in Berlin. Um, it has become a, a bit of a grudge match, of course, with um, uh, the two boards not seeing eye to eye of various things. Also, Lewandowski going to Bayern. The year before, you had Goetze going to Bayern. And uh, with Bayern's uh, very disappointing defeat against Real Madrid, a lot of, for them especially, is riding on this. And then, if you want to look forward to the World Cup, it also uh, will decide in what kind of mood the two various, the two different blocks within the Germany squad will arrive. In 2012, Bayern, uh, the Bayern players came there having lost all three titles. Uh, of course, the final in Munich against Chelsea in very traumatic fashion. And Dortmund were the double winners. And uh, that made, I think, for a very difficult dressing room. Now Bayern, having already won the championship, um, perhaps it wouldn't be quite so dramatic if Dortmund now would win the other title. But it will have an effect either way. There's uh, 13, I think, out of the 27 players in that Germany squad are from either Bayern or Dortmund. And when I look at what I think is probably the starting team, I think it might be nine out of the 11 are from these two teams. So, but with it, with quite an even split. Um, how does Joachim Love actually handle that? I mean, do, they, do you have these little cliques as, as um, the England squad is always reputed to have? Or does he, I don't know, make a, make a Bayern and Dortmund player share every hotel room? Well, there was a suggestion that the, the players themselves uh, would be entrusted with drawing up the plan for the, um, for the rooms, for the training camp, in a sort of concerted effort to, to try uh, and foster some team spirit. They've talked about this a lot, and they've talked about it so much that I think it gives you a bit of an insight just how bad Euro 2012 actually was. Um, wasn't really reported much at the time. They kept it in-house. Uh, but also after that, um, there have been clashes, not always along the lines of uh, club allegiance, but also between uh, specific players vying for the same position. Uh, Germany are blessed with more quality than they've had for a long, long time. But, of course, that brings increased competition and some players handle it much better than others. Um, sorry, Rafa, I'm interested in that um... I haven't actually heard that Euro 2012 wasn't wasn't good, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, obviously the the way that it turned out was disappointing with losing in the semi final when things seemed to be going well. But what was the what well, what conflicts were happening there? Well, for example, um, Tony Cross was very unhappy about not playing. He made it uh, his case quite vocally, and then of course he did play against Italy, and the consequences were fairly disastrous. Uh, but there were similar incidents uh, throughout the qualifiers, a bit of conflict about um, who should play in centre-back. Uh, Hummels and Mertesacker, not necessarily the best of friends. And um, just reading between the lines, when you talk to one of the, one of the two of the more established and more senior players, they always talk about this, that um, it's almost not about tactics or how we should play or formations or anything. They say we have to get... This team spirit, right, we have to pull together and the egos have to take a, take a step back. And 
whenever players you know harp on about this, I think it gives you an indication just how um, serious that problem has been and could be. And also another indicator for that is Joachim Löw's insistence of uh, on taking Sami Khedira with him to the to the World Cup. And when you listen to him, he says he is so important because he makes the dressing room a happy place. And uh, I think you can infer from that that without him, the all these tensions that we talked about would be a lot worse. So he brings the various people together. He brings the blocks together. And that's why he would be on that plane, probably even if he wasn't able to play football. I, I wasn't entirely aware that uh, Kadira was one of the world's great entertainers. Uh, Rafael, just how sparkling a po- personality are we, are we talking about here? I think it's more of a peacemaker or a diplomatic right. talent that we're talking about rather than uh, juggling um, socks in the dressing room or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's hugely important and it's, it's an interesting thing. Also, uh, I had a chance to talk to Oliver Bierhoff and uh, he said, you know, uh, we looked at various uh, camps for the, for the World Cup and we saw some really nice ones, but we felt they were too big. Um, when you had a room, you were sort of miles away from the next room, and that wouldn't be very conducive to fostering um, a good atmosphere. So they're really, really keen on getting this right, and I think it would be difficult. And the fact that the two teams, Dortmund and Bayern, face off against each other uh, in Berlin will possibly make it more difficult because who knows what might happen. But, you know, with somebody like Kevin Grosskreutz being very, very easy to, um, or quick, shall we say, very quick to react to provocations, etc. It could be a bit of a, could be a bit of an argumentative occasion. We will talk about that game now in a second, Raphael. I haven't completely forgotten about the game, but I'm, I'm interested in this. It all sounds a little bit Dutch, the way the German players are supposedly behaving. Um, I mean, I remember reading the book, uh, Philip Lamb's book, uh, which I think was regarded in Germany as a bit boring and corporate. Um, but he does talk a bit about, uh, say, for instance, Euro 2008, when Germany had a disappointing result against Croatia and uh, things, things were going badly. They lost to Croatia in the group stage. And Lamb said, OK, we all knew what we had to do. We had to talk. And so they have this big, what sounds like a rather acrimonious meeting in which they're all very honest with each other about their shortcomings. And uh, no doubt some feelings are bruised and so on. But it doesn't matter because everybody understands that they're working towards a higher goal and that personal feelings aren't really important. But it appears personal feelings actually are quite important. Yes, they are, because um, you have more players who all are vying for places and um, they all feel like they should be playing. You could potentially look at a big conflict between Kroos and, and Ozil. You know, a few months ago, Ozil would have been considered undroppable. He scored eight goals in the qualifiers for Germany, but Kroos has has played at a level of consistency that uh, has been higher and uh, perhaps might actually bring a bit more balance to what is always a little bit of a lopsided squad in terms of their actual um, tactical out uh, setup. So um, we shouldn't over-dramatize this. You know, every squad has these situations, but I think the Germans... Um, are different in the respect that they're actually facing up to this. And to a certain extent, they're communicating them as well. I mean, I've told you more things than than you'll see on the record, but um, even on the record, it's quite easy to read between the lines um, about the things that Löw and Beof are concerned about. Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks, Marlene. Raphael Honigstein there. The way it's being framed 
uh, by Pep as much as by anyone else. Is that it's him against the directors as opposed to any problems that he might have with the players. Is that is that the situation? Or? Yeah, I, I mean, it's no. I wouldn't say it's necessarily him against the directors. I mean, he said I need to talk to the directors. He, the thing about Guardiola is. I, I think he's a... I mean, we've talked about him before. I think he's a genius. He is. You know, he's in football terms, he's a genius. He's the, he's the best coach or the most original coach um, out there at the moment. Um, but he's not necessarily the best manager. You know I mean? Is that, was Alex Ferguson the best coach? According to Joey Brown, he wouldn't know one end of it to traffic cone from another or a training cone. Traffic cone, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, you know... Um, there's a whole other dimension to managing a big football club, which isn't just to do with what you do with the players on the training ground, what you do with the players in the matches, the kind of football that you're trying to get them to play. There's, an, there's a whole... I mean, we were talking to Sid earlier. How insane is Barcelona? You know, it's completely nuts. You know, you've got this corrupt dealings by the president. He has to resign. You've got all this... It's so nonsense. Yeah, you've the got these order. players who all, you know, who, who don't like each other. You know... So that requires a deft kind of political um, sense. You know, you've got to be able to be all things to all men to an extent. And I don't think Guardiola can do that at all. You know, and it's something that's happened repeatedly in his career is certain of his players who he didn't get on with coming out and saying, well, it was just weird trying to deal with that guy. Mm. You know, Ibrahimovic most obviously, but then Eto recently, Eto, you know, he didn't teach me anything. You know, and Eto and Ibrahimovic are maybe, you can see it, they're kind of similar type of guys, swaggering, macho kind of but characters. That, that's, that's exactly the point though, isn't it? That A lot of top the, players are. Yeah, and like like that. that's what makes them brilliant. And if Guardiola can only manage a certain type of man, mm. then then obviously that's a limitation on his coaching ability, even though you know, his coaching ability is perfect, but his, I should say his managerial ability is limited by, okay, well, the guys who are a little different, the guys who, you know, aren't the, aren't the, the students, you know, the quiet yeah. school kids that Zlatan talks about in his, um, in in his book, autobiography, yeah. then Guardiola doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah. Some people just don't handle confrontation very well. I mean, you know, some people, you can disagree with them and they can, I think Ferguson's approach was to, was to crush the person who disagreed, you know, if, in, internally, I'm talking about in, how he would manage Manchester United. You know, he would just wouldn't entertain it. He'd be like, stupid, get out of my office. You know, who, who do you think you are? But it wouldn't be the case that he then wouldn't speak to that person ever again. You know, he'd sort of speak to him the next day. Oh, how are you doing? Yo, how's like your missus? Yeah, yeah. You know, all this kind of nonsense, you know. That, uh, but like, so it would seem as though, okay, well, still a basically normal relationship here, even though he just squashed me like an ant in that, in that meeting yeah. when I went to him about that thing. Um, Maybe he was right to squash me like an ant. Can't even remember maybe, why I went in there. Maybe he was. And Either they, way, he's a top top football man. He's a top top manager. <laughs> but you know, a different different guys have different ways of handling it. A football manager is going to come into conflict with the half of his squad who he's not who Selecting. he's not picking. That's going to be a, that's a constant. How do you handle that? If you only have half of your squad hating you, that's actually a pretty that's that's not pretty bad. decent ratio. You've, I mean, you've still got fifty percent. You know, you've got the casting vote. You know, you're st- you're still <laughs> in charge. But like in the case of Guardiola, I get the feeling that he's so. He 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 has a really clear vision in ter- of terms of the kind of football that he wants to see, and when people disagree with him or say, "Well, what about this or what about that," he gets frustrated. He's kind of like, "Why can't you just accept what I'm saying and do what I say? Why why do you have to have these problems?" And it, and it, rather than being able to argue with someone, or rather than even being able to sort of dominate someone, he actually shrinks away from from the conflict, and. You know, provided your players are professional, like, and yes, they're going to him, hey, boss, 
Just one thing. Remember that we are with you until the death. Yeah, I can deal with. You can deal with that kind of player. Mm. That's great. A really a brilliant world class player who's. Also, really upfront and honest and loyal. Great. But as as every other top class world uh, <laughs> or top class uh, footballer is exactly the same as that, we'll be fine. Not everyone is, is like that. So I think as long as the Bayern players still think, yeah, this guy, you know, this guy's great, this guy's going to improve us, then it's going to work. But if some of them start to say, well, I don't know, do we really need to be doing all this? Mm. This guy thinks he knows everything. You know, look at him scratching his bald head, look at the philosopher. You know, then that's when it starts to go wrong. Okay, that's pretty much it. I've been Kieran Murphy. You've been Ken Early. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to us on our page. That's irishtimes.com forward slash second captains on iTunes, the Stitcher app. And if you're on Android, try the IPP app. Uh, you can email us at, sec- uh, at secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. And if you want to contact us on Twitter, we're at secondcaptains. Chat to you later for Second Captains Classic. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.